Hi, welcome to our podcast. To learn more about Liverpool One Church, join us live, give financially and to get involved, head to liverpoolonechurch.com. We believe God wants to do great things in and through your life today. Enjoy this message. Go ahead, take your seats. It is so good to see you, church, whether you're in the room, in person, or for those watching online, you're very much part of this church family too. And it's an honour, it's always an honour when I get to open the Word of God for you. It's the very thing that excites me because I've come to learn over many years that the Word of God is life-giving and life-changing. And I could not even imagine where my life would be without this. And today we get to start a brand new series. Who likes the starts of brand new series? I love it because... When you've been preparing for a new series that's coming, it's like being pregnant. You carry the weight of the Word of God. And today we're going to go into delivery. And what is going to come forth is something from the Word of God that is going to bless your life, edify your life, but also challenge your life as well, right? Because God is wanting us to grow in Him and in His ways. And so I'm excited to come into this. We've We've just come off the back of a great series about everyone. And we've spent the past four weeks looking and talking about why God wants us to be inclusive of other people. Well, this series is all about you. The last one was about everyone else. This one is all about you. And we've called it You Are. And every week we're going to fill in the blank with something else, regardless of what you think you could fill that blank into your husband. We're going to take words of affirmation from the Word of God and we are going to fill in that blank every week because I don't know if you know, but there are over 7,000 promises that God has made to you in His Word. There's over 7,000 positive affirmations that God has spoken over you and they are written and recorded in His Word. So every week we're going to fill in the blank with you are loved or you are valued or you are known. But I really felt in my heart this week that the first and opening message that I wanted to bring to you was an answer to a question that I am most commonly asked. The most common question that people ask me is, what is my purpose? How do I know what my purpose in life is? You know, the author, writer Mark Twain, he said there are two most important days in your life. One is the day that you were born and the second is the day you discover why you were born. And so if you're looking for a series title for this message, it is You Are Made for Purpose. Before we can ever understand what our purpose is, we must first have a basic understanding of the one who gave us our creator, because God is a purposeful God. So God never does anything by accident. He's not haphazard. He doesn't accidentally create or make something. Everything God created has purpose attached to it. Every rock, every plant, every star, every planet, 
and every person has purpose attached to it. The fact that you're here today, the fact that you got out of bed this morning and you are alive and breathing tells me that there is a purpose to your very existence. Now, there's a lot of new age thinking out there that tells you, you know, if you look inside, meditate, levitate on your side, you look deep within, you can find yourself and find your purpose. But I'm telling you now, you can't tell you what your purpose is because you did not create you and you did not think about you before you were created because you were a thought, you were a concept before you ever came into being. And so the God who created you, when he thought about you, he thought, I'm going to create her, I'm going to create him and this is the reason why he attached purpose to you. Colossians 1.6 tells us that absolutely everything got started in Christ and finds its purpose in him. So it's only through a relationship with God that you will ever find out your true purpose because you were made by God and you were made for God. The Bible also teaches us that when God made you, he designed you to live forever. Like, forever. He didn't create you with the intention that you would die. Now, yes, one day this heart will stop and one day this body will cease to move and we will exit this earth. But you, who you are, you will move on. You won't go anywhere. Like you're here forever and ever and ever. The Bible calls it all eternity, which means without end. So who you are is going to go on forever and ever. So here's a thought. If God created us to live an eternal destiny forever and ever and ever in the next world, in the next life, because we're going to transition into a new life, which by the way, is not sitting on a cloud playing a harp and eating Philadelphia. It is an actual real world. It's a real place. And you're going to be there and you're going to recognise each other. And you're going to have the same character and the same personality that you have today. If you're funny on the earth, you're going to be funny in heaven. I'm sorry, but if you're boring on the earth, you'll probably be a little bit boring in heaven. But who you are is who you are. So why did God give us 80, 90 years by his grace on this earth? Why didn't he just put us into eternity in the first place? Well, the reason being is when he created you, he created you with a mission on your life. That mission is your purpose. And that purpose is to be fulfilled in this earth in this dimension, in this world. And so you were brought into existence for his pleasure. He didn't need you, but he wanted you. God doesn't need you. He's not lacking. He wasn't lonely and so he thought he'd create you. He wasn't bored and he wanted some people to play with. He's not needy and he's not lacking. I'm needy. I, I need to be loved. We got a dog a couple of months ago and the reason we got the dog was because the old dog died last year and my household have all grown up. So I don't get the hugs and the attention and the affection that I actually really need and none of them are getting the message. So we got a dog and she fills that hole beautifully. But God did not create you because he was lacking and he needed love. Ephesians 4 tells us that long before he laid the earth's foundations down, 
God had us in mind. When the Bible talks about us, it's not talking about humanity as a collective us. It's talking about you as an individual. When it says that God had you in mind, you do know this, don't you? That before he created the earth, this is the vastness of God. And um, I'm going pretty fast here because this is really to set up what I want to say. But before God created the earth, he thought of every single person individually that ever was to come. You're known by him. He's got your name and he's got your number. And if anybody ever told you you were an accident, you were not. You were not. He knows you. So long before he laid the earth's foundation down, God had us individually in mind. And he settled on us. He settled on you as the focus of his love. God does not need love, but God has a need to give love. And so he created you and he settled on you as the focus of his love. Now, God loves all of his creation. Everything, the birds and the bees and the skies and the seas and the plants and the animals and everything he created, God loves. But there was only you he settled on as the focus of his love. He doesn't love anything else the way he loves you. And do you know why? Because he chose you to be created in his image. And because you were created in his image, you have the freedom of choice to love him back. Nothing else he's created in this world has the ability to love God back like you, the individual, does. And with your freedom of choice, you get to decide if you want a relationship with your maker and creator or not. So about your purpose. I don't know if you know if you think you know what your purpose is, but let me enlighten you as to what your purpose is not. Your purpose is not the job you go to work every day. Your purpose is not the career you're building. Your purpose is not to find a marriage partner. Your purpose is not to decorate your home. Your purpose is not to get the car you're saving up for or to figure out what's for tea every night. These are things you do, but they are not the purpose that you were created for. Some people say, I think my purpose is to work full time in the church. Other people say, I think my purpose is to be a missionary out in goodness knows where. I think that's where I'm called. Some people say, I'm called to start a prayer meeting. I think my purpose is to do a women's ministry. Let me tell you, right? These are all things you do, but they are not the reason you were created for. Your purpose is who you are to become it's not something you do. When God created you, he intended you to become something. So the do is something else that we get to do, but the who you are, the purpose you were created for is who you are to become. So when I study through the Bible, I see five things that God clearly wants us to become. And these five things together make up your purpose. So we're going to have a look at them. The first part of your purpose is you are to know and love God. You know, in Luke 10, there was a Jewish leader and he's walking down the streets in Jerusalem and he meets Jesus and he, he says, Jesus, what's the most important law that's written in your word? What, what's the most important of the laws? 
And Jesus summarised the whole thing together and he said, listen, you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul and your strength. And then you love to, to love your neighbour as yourself. You see, life is all about love. And if you don't get this part right, you miss the first part of your purpose. And if you miss the first part of your purpose, whatever you do will never satisfy you. Because unless you're living life out of your purpose, you will have moments of pleasure, but you will never be fully satisfied. Okay? And so the first part is all about love. And we're not, we have a real wrong conception about love. We got it a bit wrong. Love, we've made love a feeling. We've made it what I feel love, I don't feel loved. I, I, I'm in love, I'm out of love. I'm like, no, if you can fall in love, you can fall out of love. And that's not the love that God has for you. And it's not the love he wants you to give back to him. He doesn't want you falling in and out of love with him. Okay, so, so the, it's called agape love. It means it's eternal, it goes on forever. It's not circumstantial. It's not dependent on how that person is behaving or how I feel about God today. It's I have made a decision that I'm going to love the Lord my God with all of my heart. That's the God. So, so, so you know, in the Old Testament part of the Bible, the um, Israelites would go to the temple and they would offer up sacrifices to God. That was part of their worship. This was pre-Jesus. So it was the shedding of the blood of this, the animal sacrifices that would atone for their sin. And it started with Abraham. And what started out as like a heart thing, God, I'm taking this animal and I'm sacrificing it. And, and, and it talks about how the aroma, the smell would go up to heaven and, and God would atone the sins of the Israelites. But what started out as being a heartfelt, God, this is my worship to you, has now become just ritual and routine. And God addresses it. Be no different to you coming into the house of God today without really considering why you're here. Without really looking into your heart and going, what is going on on the inside of me? It's like you just turn up and you high five your mates and you just sing a song because it's on the screen. And then you're on your phone throughout the preach. Got you. And, uh, you know, you're just like doing your thing and and, and then we sing a song because it's the end and we have this routine of a Sunday and then we go home. And God addresses that. And in Hosea 6, he speaks to the people of Israel through the prophet and he says, I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more. So God's saying, I don't want your burnt offerings. Imagine God saying that today. I don't want you to just come and sing a song. I don't want you to just switch off in another message. I want you to know me more. It's what I desire. You know, I made a decision a long, long time ago that whatever my day was going to be, I was determined by the end of that day, I was going to know God a little bit more. And I made that decision because I began to realise that God is such a vast God, I could go through all of my days having that mentality and I still wouldn't even know the half of God because he's, there's so much depth and there's so much God wants to do in you and through you. So every morning before my feet even touch the floor, my heart, my spirit, my mind, I'm saying, God, I give this day to you and whatever happens, I just want you to teach me through this day so that I understand you and I know you a little bit more. 
And even if that day presents me with pressures and problems and difficulties, and even if that day really sucked by the time I got to the end of it, at least I know that if I've committed my heart to God that way, that I know him a little bit more and the day wasn't wasted. Because God will teach you out of the difficulty and teach you out of the problem. Sometimes we're just busy going, oh, everything's going wrong for me. Nothing's going right for me. I just can't wait. What, what is today? I just can't wait till it's tomorrow. We're, we walk around with this. But God's like, no, I want to teach you through everything you go through in life. I have a lesson for you. So no day is wasted. On the other hand, you could get to the end of your day and you could have earned a lot of money. You could have had a lot of accolades off people. You can have a lot of accomplishments. You could achieve things. You could be well off. You could be famous. But if you hadn't set your heart right at the beginning of the day and said, God, I want to know you a little bit more, then that is a wasted day. And you can never get it back again. So God desires for you to know him more. He says in 1 Timothy 6, 21, he says, some of these people have missed the most important thing in life. They don't know God. Like, they know everything about sport. Know who's number one in the charts. Know who's on the cover of Cosmopolitan. Know what celebrities with which celebrity, where and when. And we read up about fashion and we're into our makeup and we research on our health. But they're missing out because they don't know God. And that's the first part of your purpose. The second part of your purpose is you are to be a part of God's family. Many people believe that God created the world, because kind of this is how it reads in the Bible, that God created the world, okay, and then he created man to fill the world that he'd already created, right? But that would be like buying a dog's bed and putting it in your house, and then a year or two later going, oh, why don't we get a dog for the bed that we bought ages ago? Like, that part sounds daft, right? You see, before you buy the dog's bed, you've gone there. You know what kind of a pet you want. You know if it's going to be a tall dog or a short dog, or it's going to have sticky up ears or floppy ears. You know if it's going to be long-haired or short-haired. You've got a name for the dog. You've gone there in your mind. You're walking it through the woods. You see the personality. You've you've travelled there in your mind. Then you buy the bed, ready for the dog that you've got coming. When God created the world, he knew you, already knew you. He knew what you needed. He knew how he wanted your life to be. He knew what he wanted it to look like. He knew the dreams and the ambitions and the visions that he had for your individual life. And he created the earth and then he created man and he put man in the earth. He created Adam. It says in Ephesians 1.5 that God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Christ Jesus. This he wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. You see, God created the world. He put Adam in the world and he gave Adam a wife and he told them to go forth and multiply and they became family because that's what God had in mind when he created you. He always saw you in family. That was his intention. But when sin entered the world, family life got a bit messed up. Families break. Families hurt. Families are awkward. Families are dysfunctional. Hello. Like 
really dysfunctional. Families divorce, they separate, they grow up, they grow apart. People leave the family to go and start their own families. People move on, people move away. New people are being born into the family all the time and elderly people are dying and leaving the family all of the time. And it's not quite how God thought it would be or how we want it to be. And God knew this. So he says, I'm going to put another type of family around you. And it's not your biological family, but this is your spiritual family. You see, when you were born into the human race, to the parents you were born to, to the siblings you were born alongside, you didn't get a choice. It was just automatic. It's just the way it was. That was not your choice, but being in God's family, being a child of God is not automatic. It is a choice that you and I have to make. We have to choose to be adopted into the family of God. Now, this is really important, and I want you to really hear this. Every person is known by God. Every person is wanted by God. And every person is loved by God. But he gave you the choice as to whether you wanted to be part of his family or not. And he ain't going to force adoption on you. So you get to choose. And 1 Timothy 3 tells us exactly what the family of God is. It says God's family is the church. Church of the living God. The pillar and the foundation of the truth. The church is not a members club. The church is not a social gathering. The church is not a business business meeting. The church is not a political place. The church is not even a mums and tots group. The church is not a dating ground, people. Hello. The church is the family of God. And God's purpose for your life is not just that you know Him more, but that you belong to His family. It is in His Word. So not just to believe and love on Him, but that you will be connected to others. That is God's intention. It talks in this piece of scripture about the pillar and the foundation of truth. Pillars are put in the foundation to support the structure, the thing that's being built. Without the pillars, without the foundation, a structure would collapse. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be able to sustain itself. And God says, I'm putting you in a spiritual family and they are going to be the support pillars and the foundation of everything you want to build from your life because out there in the world we see collapsed marriages, collapsed families, collapsed businesses, collapsed relationships and God says for everything that you want to do within your life I am putting a support system in so you make wise choices, so you have a go-to person, so you have a prayer people around you, so you can be united into the gathering to support all the outworkings of your life. People say, I don't really need the church. I have some great alone time with God. I just get into nature and a walk and and I'm really close to God. And I'm like, yeah, of course you do. You can do that. I love nothing more than being in my car on my own with the worship on full blast because nobody criticizes how I sing. And it's just this most amazing time with God. And I love it. I can be alone and I can love God. 
But I can't be alone and love other people. I can't be alone and be connected to people like God wants me to in his family. And so we are to be connected to one another. God wants you. God wants you to love real people, not ideal people. Because you do know Instagram's ideal people, right? You don't like them. They rub you up the wrong way. You mute them. Yeah? But in the local church, they're real people. And they will annoy you. And they will rub you up the wrong way. But God says, I need to just love them anyway. And let's just be clear. You don't have to be friends with everybody. But you do have to love everybody. And love is a choice and real love is difficult. The third part of your purpose is you are to become like Christ. Jesus was fully God and he was fully man. And he spent 33 years upon this earth. So he understands the pain and the pressure that we go through on a daily basis. But somehow he was able to be amongst us without becoming like us. And God says, once you've been adopted into my family, I want your life to mirror his life. I want you to take his life as a model and I expect you to grow up in the family and I expect you to become like him. It's part of the purpose I created you for, that you grow up in the family of God and you become more like him. Okay, God is more interested in who you become than what you do. You know, so often our prayers are about what we do. So we pray like, God, you know, what should I do? Do I date the person? Do I not date the person? Is it the right time to get married? Is it not the right time to get married? Um, Do I go for this job interview? Do I buy this house? Do I get the car? Do I have the conversation? And while they are all great prayers to pray, they are not the most important prayer that you can pray. And here is the reason why. You are not taking your career to heaven. You are not taking your cash to heaven. You are not taking your accomplishments to heaven. The only thing that's going to heaven with you is your character. And let me tell you, God is more interested in your character than your comfort. So don't think for one minute that just because life's gone a bit topsy-turvy and I'm having a few struggles, that it's always the enemy on the attack. Sometimes it's God letting you go through something, not that he causes it, but he will allow you to go through it because he's training you in the area of your character. And so, um, now I've lost my place. And so, um, God says in Philippians 2, 5, it says, Have the same attitude in yourself, which is also in Christ Jesus. You've got to have the attitude. I don't know. I meet some people and their attitudes are like the wind. One minute they're this person, the next minute they're that person. And you don't know what type of person they're going to be on that day. And, and God is saying to us, look, I need you to have the attitude of Christ Jesus. You are not a God. Hello, revelation to some of you. Not a God, but you are to become godly. You are to have godly characteristics in you. And if you want to know what the attitude, the character of Jesus was like, it is found in Galatians 5 and it's listed under what is called the fruits of the Spirit. These are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. God says this is how. I need you to be. This is what I need your attitude to be. Be faithful. 
because I'm a faithful God. Be kind because I'm a kind God. I need you to be patient with others because I am also patient with you. This is why I need you to be growing character, growing wisdom, grow in your values. Everything you go through in life, the good, the bad, the challenging, the disappointing, all of it is to make you and help you and shape you to become more Christ-like. How does God teach you to get these characteristics in your life? By allowing you to sometimes struggle through them to master them. How do you teach a child to swim? We take the swimming aid away from it and the head goes under and it swallows a few mouthfuls of water. But the parent is, his parent is confident that there's enough knowledge and wisdom now within the child for me to remove the aid. And though you'll struggle and though your head will go under, that child will swim. How do you teach a child to ride a bike? You take the stabilizers off it and watch it fall off. You don't put the stabilizers back on, you go get back on your bike and go again. And it's exactly the same that God does with you. How does God teach you to love the agape love? By putting some really unlovable people around you. You are going to learn how to love. And learn it fast, people. How does God teach you to be patient? By giving you kids. Or just putting you in some situations that really stress you out. Whatever you do, do not pray for patience because he ain't sprinkling it on you one night. Let me tell you, you are going to go through the most stressy, awkward, difficult season of your life. God's like, I'm teaching you. I'm teaching you. It's how he does it. How does God teach you to be faithful? By you being let down by others. When you've been let down by someone, God says, I want you to learn that character in your life. Don't you be that person. Learn it. How does God teach you to be kind? By you being mistreated by others. He's like, others have mistreated you. I need you to be kind. Don't you mistreat them. These characteristics, they're internal and they are eternal. Okay? They're within you. And they're what you're going to take with you when you go. These are who you are. They're not feeling based. They are not circumstantial. They are who you are becoming. If you had no problems in your life, you would have no character. You do know that, don't you? You would be like a spoiled brat, actually. Like, if God answered every prayer that you prayed, when you wanted it, how you wanted it, you would learn nothing of him in his nature. You would be like a spoiled child. So sometimes it is not always the enemy, but it is God holding back the promise because God's like, I need to see the person that I thought of in my mind emerging through the situation. Okay, there is plenty of people in the church who are growing old, old in years, old in their faith, and they are not growing up. Stuck in perpetual adolescence because we refuse to deal with parts of our character in our attitude. In Mark 4, 17, it says, it, it talks about there's this thing that is called, uh, such a thing called shallow soil. When the Word of God is taught, it's like scattering seed. And the idea is the seed takes root in the soil. But if the soil of your life is shallow, 
as the seed grows, when the wind comes and the storm comes and the difficult time comes, that little plant is going to be uprooted and completely blown off. God says, I need you to have deep soil in your life. That's your character. So that when the seeds of the Word of God go forward, it takes root and it is planted. It says, there is such a thing, a shallow soil of character, that when their emotions wear off and difficulty arrives, they've got nothing to show for it. Who is saying there? When their emotions wear off, or you're one person on a Sunday or singing, hands raising, isn't this amazing? But when the problems of Monday come, you're like a completely different person. It's shallow soil. No one in the office would ever know on Monday how you wear on Sunday. You're like two completely different people. And God says, but listen, I need you to have deep soil. I need you to carry responsibility and not just be all about your rights. Everybody's all about, well, what I think and what my rights are, but deep-rooted soil carries responsibility. And the fourth thing is you are shaped to uniquely serve Him. There's nobody else has your shape, nobody else has your DNA, that you are shaped really individually. Like every snowflake is individual. Everything about you is individual. Your fingerprint is individual. There's never been, God doesn't replicate you from someone He made 2,000 years ago, by the way. You're unique. Your fingerprint is unique. Your footprint is unique. Your eye print is unique. You are absolutely unique. God doesn't do doubles and God does not do replicas at all. God made you to be you for such a time as this upon the earth today. In Psalm 139, you shaped me first inside and then out in my mother's womb. When God is talking about the shape of you, you shaped me first inside. He's not talking about your kidneys and your lung and your spleen and all the other bits. He's talking about the DNA character of you. He put your character, your DNA, the who you are to become in you first. That is your gift. Whatever you're gifted in in life is unique to you. Nobody else has your gift. My, my son, he did not learn to drum from a drum teacher. He was drumming in the womb. Literally, I was in hospital time and time again and all they could see was his hands going like crazy. At 10 months old, the kid was drumming and I kid you not it's a gift from God some people have a gift of speaking a gift of writing the gift of hospitality the gift of kindness whatever your gift it is uniquely given to you by God it's part of your shape your heart is a unique shape your heart is what you're passionate about what you love to do the hobby that you think that you do and somebody else thinks is completely daft well the reason they think it's completely daft is because they are their shape is different and they to do something else and, and what you find funny they find stupid and but if we were all into the same thing there would be so much undiscovered on the earth so God gave you a unique shape your personality is unique some are introvert extrovert some are you know I, have you ever sat with somebody and they are like a beautiful crier like I'm like looking at I'm just like glass 
I, my face looks like I've been run over with a lawnmower when I'm like crying. And yet we are all made individually. Some of us are loud. Some of us are quiet. Some of us are morning people. Some of us are night owls. Our experiences are different. This all goes to make your shape. Your experiences are what you experienced at school. What was your experience growing up? What's your experience of family life? What is it you've been through in life that you're like, man, I never want to go through that again. But actually, it all went to forming you and shaping you and creating you to be the person that you are today. And it is unique to you. So we all have a unique shape. And the final point is that you were made to serve God by serving others. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's handiwork, created by Christ to do good works, which he prepared for us in advance to do. The phrase good works could be summed up in one word, and that is ministry. You're created for ministry. Not everyone is a pastor, a preacher, a leader, a teacher, a worship guy. Not everybody has this platform. But ministry... You all have a ministry because your ministry is any time you use your unique shape to help others find Christ. That's your ministry. Your ministry is any time you use your abilities, your experiences in conversation to point others to finding Jesus. And one day you're going to stand before God. God's going to say, what did you do with what I gave you? Because I didn't give you, because you know what? The father of lies says, compare, compete. Just compare. With, and we're always looking at what she's got and he's got and what he's doing and what I, and we're missing out on the uniqueness that God made you unique to do something. Your unique shape has a ministry attached to it. And God's going to say, what do you do? Proverbs 19 tells us that you can make your plans. You can make all the plans in the world. But it says only the Lord's purpose will prevail. Only his purpose will last. Oh, you can plan the holidays and the cars. And it's all great. And God wants you to have that. But this is what I've discovered. A couple of things on closing. You weren't made for the good life, by the way. Do you know why? Because the good life isn't good enough. You were made for a better life much better life than what the world says is a good life. And God wants you to have and be and do upon the earth. But you will never feel complete, no matter how hot the girl is, how big the house is, how fast the car is, you will never feel satisfied until you're living with his purpose in you, attached to all that you do. You know the scripture that says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you? I've actually come to realize it says, seek my purpose first. Seek my purpose first. And when you seek my purpose first, the things that you want and you desire and you long to do, you'll do them because I'll add them to you. It's a supernatural momentum God says, I'll add them to you. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that you can take that message and apply it to your life. Also, don't forget to take a moment to subscribe, rate and review this podcast. To get connected or stay more connected to the life of Liverpool One Church and learn how you can join us live, visit liverpoolonechurch.com. 
Thanks again for joining us and we hope to see you again soon.